if we ever wake up with a feeling, mm. we must address it. If there is a calling, mm. just pay attention to it, even if it is for a moment. I feel like every time we get ourselves out of a comfort zone or every time we uh, listen to something that our gut is telling us, mm. we, we are opening an opportunity for ourselves. This is your host, Dhyutama, but you can call me DJ. <laughs> and I love to inspire food photographers to dream. I spent 15 years as an architect studying buildings and constructing hospitals before taking the biggest leap of faith of my life, which was setting up a food styling and food photography business right from scratch. If you're a dreamer like me, wanting to start a new photography business, or grow your existing food photography business, jump right into a world where I share practical, actionable strategies to improve your photography skills, to work with clients, make more money, or with a fearless mindset. This is the My Food Lens Podcast, and we take you one step closer to your dreams. So let's go. Yo, welcome back, my friends. Oh my God, it feels amazing. It feels so good to be behind the mic and starting the new year with something I truly, truly love, which is bringing this podcast to you. So yay! <laughs> I know, I know we had to push the brakes, you know, for a bit last year, but that was only so I would have a better grip when I return. And honestly, in these past few months of silence on the podcast, you know that it has been anything but quiet at my end. I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that the past few months have been the craziest. They have been the busiest. And honestly, I'd say that it's been like a new era in my photography business, but I'll share more of that another time. All right. But I want to let you know that even though we might not have had any new episodes, there was a lot and a lot going on behind the scenes for the podcast, you know, right from setting up a team to re-recording, to creating new episodes, to finding new amazing guests. I mean, everything, everything possible that will serve you better is what was going on behind the scenes. It was action-packed boss. <laughs> and I'm excited. I'm so excited that I'll be able to bring those episodes to you starting today. Honestly, in this process, you know, I've had a realization that I'm very lucky, you know, and I'm not just saying it. I really felt that over the past few months, I felt, you know, the time that I was not creating, I was not putting out the podcast. And then I was able to do that one more time, like, you know, starting end of last year when I was actually doing all the action packed work, I realized I am so lucky. It is such an honor for me. In fact, I'm so grateful that I have been able to serve you through this podcast, that these topics have helped you in your journey and you've seen real results. I mean, that is everything. All this effort, all this action-packed work that is going on behind the scenes, it felt so worth it. It feels amazing to be in a place where I've been able to play a part in moving you forward in your hobby, your passion, your journey. So before we even get into anything this year, like anything, anything more on this episode, I want to say one thing to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With that, speaking of journey, <laughs> let's talk of journey. 
I want to start this year with something a little bit different, a kind of a different episode, you know. This episode is one in which I was actually a guest on Becky Hadid's podcast. It's called The Storied Recipe. And we recorded this last year and she was on my podcast. And I think I talked about that. You might have seen that. But this episode is when I was on Becky's podcast and I want to share that with you. You know, at the time when we recorded this podcast, Becky was a food photographer. She's kind of in a different space now. And if you've heard actually episode 43, you know what a powerful conversation that was. You know, it was all about not having a photography business. Wow. <laughs> So check it out. If you want to have like a fresh take on photography, check out episode 43. I'll put it in the show notes. But back to Becky. So Becky is an incredible storyteller. And at one point, definitely I used to associate food photography with her. So when I was on her podcast, I talked about a recipe. So it's called the Storied Recipe Podcast. All right. I talked about a recipe and that recipe it makes me cry every time. Like I'm not even exaggerating. If you have a recipe that has deep memories, well, then you quite understand where I'm coming from. So I talked about a recipe that actually makes me cry. And I talked about my journey from being an architect to a photographer, every single risk I took along the way and how I gave up everything for love. And this was like, not my love for photography, not my love for podcasting. It was for my one true love, my soulmate, how I gave up everything for him. So on that podcast, I shared why I cried while I was sitting on a plane and how I became a food photographer and how the pieces have come together for me over the last few years. Now you'll be like, well, you know, I want to hear that episode. But the reason I want to share that with you and the reason I want to start the year with that is because I feel that many, many of you might relate to many parts of it. You know, the move, the move from a corporate career to a creative industry, the struggles, the fights. I feel like it was just not my fight. It's our fight. I feel like it's not just my story. It's our story. You know, you might have gone through something similar. I mean, our journeys are so similar. And that's why, you know, I want to share this with you. Because I feel like there are parts of it that are not just mine. I feel like we all kind of resonate with it. And I also want to share with you the one mistake that I made. And that was not recognizing my true calling in life, which actually might help you in recognizing or acknowledging something that you've been dodging. And I feel like that is a big part of my conversation with Becky. And so you know why I want to share this episode. I just want to start the tone of the podcast for 2023 with this episode because we are all so connected in our journeys. This is the reason why I have this podcast. I feel connected as a part of your struggles, your fights. And this episode is a way of sharing mine so that you know you're not alone. All right. I hope that you'll have some laughs, you know, some emotions, some inspiration, maybe some, not some, a lot of nostalgia as you listen through this episode. And in Becky's words, let me take you on a journey through the twists and turns of a bold, brave life. So let's go. I am back today and thrilled to introduce you to Dutima. 
Now, if you happen to be in the food photography world, you would not need an introduction to Dutima. She is the energetic, positive, professional woman behind the podcast titled My Food Blends, where she teaches up-and-coming food photographers about inspiration, technique, and especially the business side of things. Dutima is really qualified to do that. She was born and raised by a school teacher mother. Uh, Her mother was a history teacher. In fact, she also happened to be a radically experimental and wonderful cook. Dutima was also raised by her father, who was a neurologist in the uh, Indian military. Because her father was in the military, Dutima and her sister and her parents moved every three years to a different part of India. And today, through her words and stories and images, Dutima takes us on a tour through many of the varied landscapes and historical cities that she stayed in in India. But more significantly, she takes us with her on the journey through the twists and turns of a very bold and brave life including a massively successful career as a medical architect. This part of her life is fascinating to when she chose love for her childhood sweetheart over everything else, how that affected her life. And then most recently, the surprising choice to start her career over in food photography. This is just a wonderful episode. It's super pleasant, incredibly interesting. I have lots and lots of links in the show notes to some of the places and things that she talks about, and I'm super excited to share it with you. Here's Dutima. I was wondering, because I noticed when we were on the phone last week, you have a big mug. (laughs) (laughs) i do and it's huge and i got it from miami you know one of those airport airport Uh shops yeah the the one liter guy that is too funny so it's honey lemon tea that you have in there i was like what is in that mug (laughs) (laughs) yes it's it's huge and i think anyone who sees it is like oh god and i have i have like i have tea like free-flowing tea the whole day oh do you? so I just drink in liters <laughs> okay okay and Herbal I mean tea and, you know <laughs> for a mug that size is that like one tea bag or two or do you just make your tea like in bulk and then you fill it up <laughs> um I yeah it's one tea bag <laughs> one tea okay <laughs> I love it I love it. you you know what oh. I always have that mug in all my podcast recordings I'm always sipping tea no one has ever asked <laughs> oh. me this <laughs> oh really oh yeah yes. I was noticing and you know what's funny is um we're like uh what's that movie um I think it's called big it had like mm. the really short guy and the really tall guy <laughs> so I <laughs> I'm the opposite because I only drink coffee Ah. Um, so of course both times you know it's been morning here and evening there like I'm just gearing up and you're just winding down Mm -hmm. but um, I only drink coffee out of I have like little espresso mugs and I don't drink espresso but I drink coffee in them because I like coffee to be really hot and so by the time you've drunk the amount that's in an espresso cup like you would have to yes. go back to the microwave and reheat it anyways, which <laughs> destroys the taste. Oh, so, my God. And you're I the also, opposite. <laughs> yes. And I also, I can't drink a lot of caffeine. I just start to mm. get, um, 
like physically anxious. I, I just feel zzz, even if there's yes, nothing really yes. on my mind and I don't like that feeling. So yeah, I just drink out of my little espresso cups and you've got your big, huge cup. We're like, oh my God. And that's we should, we, yeah, we should do cheers sometime. You <laughs> yes, know? yes, yes. A virtual cheers. Exactly. <laughs> a virtual oh cheers. God. Yes. So, well, I'm so, um, I'm so looking forward to talking to you and to introducing you, I guess, in some ways more to your podcast followers. Um, because yeah, like this, this, I, I have such tiny hints about you. I know, I know of course about your very vivacious personality and your amazing presence on video. Oh, um, thank you. Oh yes. It's, it's quite, I mean, it very, it definitely stands out in a wonderful way. Um, I know about your tea drinking. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. I knew about your big mug. <laughs> Um, I knew, I know that you were an architect and now you mm -hmm. are a food photographer and a food podcaster. That's, I think that's almost everything I know about you. And what I don't know at all is your story. Like I, I have this snapshot of mm -hmm. Dutima as, you know, in this, in this period of time, but I don't know your story. Like what's made you that? So um, the only hint I have maybe tell me is that you recently took a trip to India does this give me a hint to your to your story? Yeah, I did take a trip to India and it was actually mm. a very it was a very emotional thing for us. Oh really. So I live in Singapore and yes. my entire family lives in India. Mm. And you know how big India is. So everybody yes. lives in different cities and these cities are in every direction of the world that you can possibly imagine. So north, south, you know, east. Mm. So when when we, when my daughter was born, mm -hmm. uh, within three months of that, COVID happened. Mm. And we live here in Singapore, so none of our family is here. And mm. so for the, you know, the following two and a half years, we never got to see them. Mm. And my daughter grew up literally, you know, so old, just not knowing who grandparents were, what grandparents were, you know, what, mm. what does, what does Nana mean? You know, mm. she mm. had, she had never met cousins. She didn't know what a brother or sister meant, you know? Mm. So for us, yes, taking that trip to India was um, introduction of our daughter to our family, like in a very, you know, official way, they had only seen her when she was two months old wow. and then, and yeah. And so she was two and a half uh, over two and a half close to three you know, when we had to take this trip. The other thing that had happened was that when COVID happened, my father, you know, he suffered a heart attack. And oh. that was the time when the entire world was in a lockdown, like oh. so strict that even within India, my sister lives in Mumbai and mm. she could not travel to Patna, which is a three-hour flight. You know, mm. they couldn't cross. There were no flights. You couldn't, you couldn't cross state borders. So my dad, thankfully being a doctor, you know, timely action mm -hmm. was taken. He was healthy. But at that time, we, we went through this phase of helplessness mm. and, you know, a, a really, really bad feeling of just not being there for your parents. Mm. So, I mean, this trip, uh, was was very emotional at you know many different levels mm -hmm. and what was funny was in fact was that um when we told our parents that okay we're finally coming to india mm -hmm. we're finally coming you know we can visit you of mm -hmm. course they were very happy but my mm -hmm. mom's first question was 
what would you like to eat? What should I make? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's, that's it. Great. That's, I mean, I mean, you said you 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 have a little hint of me, but that yes. itself is everything about me. I I am oh. all about food. And you know, that question of hers, it literally mm. set the tone for our travel. Mm. And we 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 traveled from Mumbai, which is like a coastal city mm. south of India. We went all the way to Jammu and Kashmir, which is the northernmost state which is mm. where my in-laws are and it mm. actually borders with China and it's so oh, beautiful. So that Eastern. It is, uh, this is, uh, uh, Jammu Kashmir is up north. Oh, just, okay. You know, and um, it's so beautiful. It's actually compared to Switzerland. Oh, um, wow. It's the mountains, the Himalayas, like it's, mm. it's amazing. Mm. And then my parents live in East India, which is in Bihar, which mm. is very close to Bengal actually. And mm-hmm. Then my husband's brother, he lives in Guwahati, which is further, further east in a state of Assam, which is close to Myanmar and Tibet. So, yeah, so our our family was spread out everywhere. We traveled everywhere except we couldn't go and uh, meet my brother, my husband's brother. Mm. Uh, But other than that, yeah, we had family reunions. We saw hundreds of relatives. We ate like we were starving. (laughs) And so it was definitely an emotional trip, but it was like a gastronomic explosion. That's what I would call it. (laughs) That's amazing. And I love that that was your mom's first question. I'm looking at a map here of India, these different states to, to see, um, so how long was this trip? We went for two weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. We ate for two years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. It wasn't, I mean, that's, that's how long my husband uh, could take off from work. Yes. Uh, okay. But it was, it was very packed. It was, it was not a relaxed holiday. Mm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say because with family, it's always like that. But and then, mm. of course, we were very tired from all the eating. You know, mm-hmm. it takes it takes a ton of yeah. strength to do that much. <laughs> well, so. there's a lot of digesting going on. It's yeah, saps exactly energy from the rest of your <laughs> systems. <laughs> so two weeks was was really tops that our mm. body could take it. <laughs> yeah. And how is your dad's health? He is much better. He's all mm-hmm. um, healthy. He mm-hmm. had a surgery uh, right then. Mm-hmm. And so his food has changed a lot. Mom's cooking has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've lost a ton of weight, but wow. he's happy, healthy. He plays golf every single day wow. that he's been playing for the last 35 years. Wow. Um, yeah. So he's That's doing great. well. That's great. So when your mom, did your mom cook the new healthy dishes for you or the old, the old favorites? Oh no. Oh no. They were definitely <laughs> the old favorites. And, and dad loved it because he was, it was like, you know, his, his cheat day. Oh, that's <laughs> for great. a long time. Yes. That's great. Now Indian food is naturally healthy in many ways. It's, it leans heavily on, you know, um, legumes and vegetables. Is, is this true? So mostly it was a matter of changing out oils or, do you know how she made that change? Yes, absolutely. And you're so right to say that. I think the ingredients are very healthy. The mm. combination of ingredients is very healthy. And you know how a meal is put together in mm. India? I think that is also very healthy because you have a portion of carbohydrate, which is either your rice or roti. Mm. Then you have lentils, you know, some mm-hmm. kind of lentils. And then you always have a vegetable or mm-hmm. a meat or, you know, something. A third thing, which is your protein um, Mm-hmm. Uh, and fiber, you know. Yeah. It. So it's it's usually a very balanced meal. I feel like 
of course, anyone can make anything unhealthy by, yeah. <laughs> you know, over frying, over yes. creaming, over sugaring, yes. so over salting also. Mm. So what mom did was take away those things. So she mm. took away a little bit of salt, most of the sugar, mm. a lot of refined food. And uh, she switched to like really like whole, uh, you know, mostly everything whole grain, uh, you know, that kind mm. of a switch, she still makes everything. She just switches things out. So instead of cheese, she might do cauliflower on mm. a bake, you know? Mm-hmm. So she's made those switches, but yeah, wow. they, she, she's, a, she's a great cook. So she turns anything really into something tasty. So that's, that's complained a little bit. Yeah. has complained. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, she's, she's been able to control that. I think mom's the only one who can control that. So, mm-hmm. oh, she's the only one who could make him make that kind yes. of change. Convince yes. him to, yes. they, yes. they have a wonderful relationship. It sounds like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would say <laughs> once definitely to my mom's, uh, my mom was a teacher for like 30 mm. years. So wow. she's definitely strict and very disciplined. And she's definitely a teacher in the house and a principal in the house as well. So mm-hmm. you can imagine dad, there's no choice. Like he has to listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's, yeah, he's a doctor. So outside of the house, he's telling his patients, perhaps his staff what to do, but inside the house, your mom rules. Exactly. Absolutely. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, I'm sure he depends on her. Mm, Yes, he does. Yeah. Well, as long as we're talking about your mom, I want to, I want to skip down there and talk about your mom and her cooking a little bit more. And um, I actually, when you, when you submitted this recipe, so again, Mm -hmm. can you tell me how to pronounce this? Okay. So it's called Sarso Machli. Sarsu and muchly. Muchly. Okay. So sarsu means um, mustard. Oh, that's the uh-huh. Hindi name for mustard, and mm. muchly is the Hindi name for fish. Okay. So sarsu muchly means uh, fish in mustard curry or fish in mustard. Okay. So when I read, thank you for that, sarsu <laughs> muchly. Mm-hmm. So when you, um, when I read your description, it really touched me. So I want to introduce people listening a little bit more to your mom by reading um, by reading to them what you wrote. So you wrote, Sarso Machli is my comfort food, my soul food, my ultimate food. My first memory of delicious food is from when I was three years old, and it involves this fish curry. This recipe has everything to do with my mom. I still remember my first taste of this recipe was sitting on the living room carpet. My mom had a thali with this fish curry on steamed rice. She was taking out the bones from the fish pieces, mixing the fish with rice and feeding her two daughters with her hands. I thought that was such a tender, tender description of your mom. Um, And which is so interesting because now you're also describing her as someone who really runs a tight, (laughs) tight ship. So (laughs) that is true. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more um, about her. First of all, thank you, Becky, for, you know, bringing back that memory. It's always Mm. very emotional for me. Oh, well, tell us about that then. That's, that's amazing that you remember something so specifically from three years old. That's young. It's crazy. My yeah. memory is crazy. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I sometimes my parents are amazed at the things that I actually remember. Mm-hmm. And 
out of like, there would be 10,000 other things that happened when I was three years old. I don't remember those, but I most definitely remember this one. And it's crazy because I remember that we used to live in Delhi. Mm -hmm. I also remember the time of the day. Really? It was around dusk. Wow. Uh, and I remember dad was at the hospital. He was seeing patients. Mm -hmm. And that I, I almost remember the carpet that we had. Um, really? we literally, we sat, we sat, um, in the middle, it was like a triangle. We sat in a triangle, mm -hmm. mom at the head and the two daughters. I was three years old. My daughter, my uh, sister was seven years old. Mm -hmm. Um, she's four years older to me. And that's it. We just went like mom was just mixing the fish and the rice mm -hmm. and the, you know, and the curry. And in India, we eat with our hands. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. she, she just literally, she fed one daughter and then she fed the other daughter. Mm -hmm. And I, I can never forget that, you know. That's beautiful. Uh, That's beautiful. So no matter, I don't know. I, I think I've had this fish curry like maybe over a hundred times in my lifetime. Wow. But every time I take that first bite, it just takes me back to that house in Delhi, you know. That's amazing. Just, it's such, yeah. yes, it is such a beautiful, um, it's such a beautiful image of the care and the tenderness of a mother for her daughters to feed them with her own hands. And she had made this dish before she fed you. Oh yeah. 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 This mm. is a very traditional, it's, it's actually like a Sunday food, you know, everybody mm. has something like for some folks, it's pizza for somebody it's pasta. And there's mm. a special something that you associate with Sundays or mm. a rainy day. And mm -hmm. this is what it was for us. So we made it at least once a week, mm. maybe once in two weeks. So it was it was not something special, but mm. it was always special because mm. it tasted so damn good, mm. <laughs> you know? So, and also there are so many variations mm. of cooking uh, mustard and uh, of cooking fish in mustard curry. Mm. The one with radish, the recipe that I mentioned, yes. uh, you know, is, is one of them. And there are, my mom can make at least 15 different variations of it. And I'm sure other folks can make even more than that. There are over 20 of these, you know? So they're very like little subtleties can completely change the flavor. But mm. the thing is that the combination of that mustard paste and the fish mm -hmm. in it, it's just, I don't know what it is for me. For me, it's like, oh, I can eat it all day, every day. And mm -hmm. it will always take me back to that, you know, sitting on that carpet mm. in the living room, mom feeding us. It's just always like that for me. Mm, yes. What a beautiful, beautiful moment. I feel really touched by, <laughs> by that. Mm, that's amazing. Mm. Um, well, let, let me, let me ask a little bit more about the dish. Then you said there's so many different variations. Mm -hmm. Is that based on, be, like you were explaining earlier, because India is such a diverse country when it comes to climate zones, which of course means agriculture. Um, it, does that define most of the differences? Or is it also, of course, just you you cook with what's on hand and everyone has their own family recipe? Um, yeah, a little bit like that. So mm. um, one is ingredients. So you can mm -hmm. make this a similar curry with prawns. Mm. eggs, potato, pumpkin, eggplant, mm. mutton. So you can have wow. a vegetarian version, a vegan version. You can do mm. a, you know, meat version, a fish version. Mm -hmm. You can also do a steamed version. So it's literally, um, you know, any of this, it's just steamed with that mustard paste and mustard mm. oil. So the, the options are like, 
you know, a little bit different in the tempering. Mm -hmm. So for example, we, we use coriander seeds or fenugreek seeds, Mm -hmm. and um, you could use fresh fenugreek leaves for tempering Mm -hmm. as well. You could just use tomatoes. So there are subtle differences, Mm -hmm. but also you could completely change the technique of cooking, which is Mm -hmm. steaming versus just boiling Mm -hmm. and you could change, switch out the ingredients based on your, Mm -hmm. you know, your taste. So, so yeah. But the key thing that defines this is the mustard-based sauce. 100%. That's and the, the mustard oil, 100%. Yes. Yes. I I have never heard of mustard oil before. Ah, okay. And wow. so, yes, this is very common for you. Is it common in Singapore as well? Do you find it easily there? We do find it easily because we have a ton of Indians here. However, yeah. in your defense, uh-huh. which is... It is, it is not, I mean, it's not a common ingredient in all of Indian cuisine. Like you mm. said, how diverse Indian, Indian, mm-hmm. India is, right? So mm-hmm. we have like 20, we have 28 states mm-hmm. and in each state, like even the languages are different. So every, mm-hmm. we have, I think, 22 official languages and mm-hmm. we have close to 20,000 dialects of languages. Mm-hmm. Like so much diversity that even my husband and I don't speak the same language. We really? come from different places. Yeah. The only common language between us is English and Hindi. But mm. at home, his folks speak a different language, which I don't understand. And I speak another language, which he doesn't understand. Mm. So it comes down to the same thing with food. Mm-hmm. Literally every few hundred kilometers in India, yes. the food <laughs> changes a little bit. It changes a little bit. And yes. every state has a different cuisine. Mm. There is a little bit of overlap, but it's different, you know? So Mm -hmm. mustard oil is a very, I would say, North or East Indian cooking. But if you go to South India, it's coconut oil or vegetable oil or canola oil or things like that. It's mustard oil is very selective and not everybody uses it. But because this, the place that I come from, grows a ton of mustard. Mm. It just becomes, you know, the oil of choice. Mm. So uh, mostly for most of the meats, mm-hmm. uh, especially in North India, they would definitely cook it in the very, you know, pungent, smoky kind of mm-hmm. mustard oil. It gives it, gives it amazing flavor. So, so in your defense, not every <laughs> Indian also cooks with mustard oil. So, so I totally get it. Yeah. This is so interesting. So first of all, I wish I had thought ahead. I was just at an Indian market, um, on two days ago. Yeah. So that would have been Tuesday. And I I should have looked, I should have looked while I was there um, and seen it. And well, so first of all, just as a little aside, it's funny because I actually have an episode. It was one of my earliest episodes named every 100 kilometers in India, because Uh I had had a guest named Pradeep on and he said, there's a saying every hundred kilometers in India, the food, the language and the religion changes. And I thought, yes, I think that's uh, amazing. I think that's amazing. Um, So I understand now definitely for sure what the mustard oil brings to a dish, Mm -hmm. like obviously so much, so much flavor in terms of cooking with it high smoke point, low smoke point? Like, is it touchy to work with or is it pretty easy to work with? Like when I go to make this dish? dish. 
I think it's I think it's easy to work with, mm. uh, or maybe because I've seen it. You know, I've worked <laughs> with it as a child. Yes. So I would say, um, you know, I I would say it's easy. You just mm. have to heat it up well, and it kind of gets mm. a little bit frothy when it's oh. when it's um, heating up, oh. and you don't make it smoke too much. Mm. You just you just allow it to come to a good temperature, a, mm-hmm. a good hot temperature, and then that's it. Just cook like your normal oil. Okay. It's, it's actually not too bad at all. It's just the foamy part can throw you off sometimes. Mm. But other than that, no. All okay. Good. That's good to know because I think I would freak out a little bit. <laughs> I must have started getting frothy if you hadn't told me. And probably oh, I would probably end up turning it down too low and it wouldn't cook properly. I, so yes, yes. I'm glad you said that. Okay. Well, as long as we're staying on this, on uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about me making this recipe. Um, mm. I, you know, I have to do justice <laughs> to this precious, <laughs> precious, precious. Recipe. I'm so sorry. I, I couldn't no. think of anything else. I was like, I, oh. what should I, you know, what should I, what should I share? And I felt like there was nothing yes. stronger for me. <laughs> yes. Do not be sorry. I love, love working with new ingredients, learning new methods. Um, this is the idea. This is the heartbeat of this podcast. It's a thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for amazing. this recipe. Amazing. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, yes, because the thing is, then I get to incorporate these things into my pantry and some of them really, you know, take over as something that we use frequently. So yeah, um, yeah you specifically said to avoid using tuna. So why is this and what fish, what fish would you use? Mm. So this is typically made with freshwater fish, mm. uh, not sea, not, mm. uh, not the sea fish, uh, okay. which is how we always had it. But I have lived outside India for way too long and I've mm. had to work with a ton of different fishes to make it taste somewhat similar mm-hmm. because um, I'm, I'm honestly, I've never used tuna. But mm. just knowing the structure of tuna and the taste of tuna, mm-hmm. I have a feeling that it's not going to complement the mustard. You know oh, how okay. how you have, you know, actually thinking mm-hmm. about fish and the combination of fish and mustard, it's actually universal. So, mm. you know how you have salmon with mustard. That's mm-hmm. a combination. Yes. Which is why salmon works beautifully in this curry. Mm. And it's a more robust fish. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel that tuna is so is so powerful mm-hmm. itself that mm. it may not soak up all the goodness of the curry and you know really have flavor mm-hmm. all the way through it. Okay. So I've never tried tuna, but the other fish that works very nice uh, nicely is sea bass. Oh, it is okay. actually the closest to a freshwater fish that, you know, the way we make it. Sea bass is a very delicate fish. I don't know. Have you worked with sea bass? Never. Mm-mm. Mm. It's very, it's, it's very delicate. It's mm-hmm. a white fish, mm-hmm. uh, but you have to like kind of just semi fry it so that it, it, it holds together okay. and then slowly release it in the curry. So okay. I feel like salmon and sea bass have definitely uh, are winners for me after trying many different fishes. <laughs> okay. This is good to know. This is good to know. Yeah. And you have access to so many fish there in Singapore. Mm, true, true, true. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about uh, the, <laughs> you mentioned your mom picking the bones out one by one. Do you now make this with um, fish that's already been kind of um, like I salmon, the way we mm-hmm. we buy it here in the US, I mean, it's pretty uh, is a processed. Yes, yes, ah, yes. Yeah. So is this, um, 
did you make it with whole you fish? You can make or? it with either. You can mm. not a whole fish for mm. sure. You want the pieces because you want the curry to get into it. Mm. So you definitely want like a a, a piece. Mm. Uh, when I cook with salmon, it's basically fillet. Mm-hmm. And it barely has any bones in it, but mm-hmm. I usually get a full sea bass and I get it cut at the at the fish market. Mm. So I cut it, get it cut in steak, you know, mm-hmm. as steak pieces. It mm-hmm. still has all the bones and everything in it, including the fish head, including mm. the tail. We eat mm. all of it. So mm. <laughs> is that you know, the, so- is that like the lucky piece or like in people in your family are they? Yay! I got the head, or is it? Well, I guess this is my my lot. I'll take it. You know, you either hate it or leave it. I mean, hate it, love it or hate it. And I actually love it. And my sister hates it. So it works out great. Okay. Um, You know, so uh, head, actually, a fish head is supposed to be a very, you know, it's full of fish oils, I think. Uh Uh So they say that children who eat fish head turn Mm -hmm. out to be very intelligent and by mm. experience, I can definitely vouch for it because I always <laughs> ate the fish head. <laughs> well, it makes sense. I mean, the brain is the fatty. It, our mm-hmm. brains are almost all fat, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I could easily see that being the case for sure. And like you said, obviously. <laughs> yes, yes. Obviously. I use that against my sister all the time. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, going back to okay. your question, I guess fillet of salmon mm-hmm. or something, uh, a delicate fish cut in steak uh, pieces, either should work for you. Yeah. And you just accept the fact that the bones are in there. I like that. Yeah. I, I think what I like is that it didn't seem... Um, I don't know. There's something about this idea, like the farther we get away from our food, the less mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not maybe not physically healthy, but like emotionally or psychologically healthy, I guess it is in some yeah. ways. And um, I kind of like the fact that it's just like, well, you know, there's bones and fish, so you pick them out. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, there's but tails actually, on shrimp. <laughs> actually, in, um, in Indian uh, cooking, Becky, mm. we almost never take out the fish bones. It's mm-hmm. just, we just get it cut like that. And similarly for mm-hmm. meat, you know, if we are cooking mutton, mm-hmm. I particularly go and buy meat with bone. Mm. Like I, 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 and we eat goat meat a lot mm-hmm. more than lamb. Mm. So I will go and buy meat on the bone because mm-hmm. it is also more tender. So mm. I've also noticed that, that if you just cook it with the fillet of salmon, it mm-hmm. could dry out if you overcook it. Mm. But when you have fish with bone, it mm-hmm. retains a little bit of that juiciness inside mm. a little bit more. Mm-hmm. This is this is such a good point. Yeah. And I think also there's um, marrow in the bones that leach mm. out into the sauces, which are really quite healthy as well. True, true, true. Mm. Absolutely. How about the skin? Yes, we keep the skin on and we crisp it up a little bit. And once mm. it goes into the curry, it also soaks up all the flavor. Oh, mm. my God. So the other, yeah, my sister hated it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, great for the skin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yours. Talk and- about full of oil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yo! Oh, great for our skin. Oh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yeah, we keep it on. I I don't remove except for scales and cleaning up the inside of the fish. I honestly mm-hmm. don't remove anything. Um, yeah, I don't mm. know. Okay. Oh, I'm learning so much. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> learning so much. Um, radishes. I mm. think. I mean, radishes are like a springtime, cool weather um, crop here. Is this, we're talking about the same radishes? 
Yes, yes. Mm. So we, so yeah, radish is definitely a winter crop, a mm. cold weather vegetable, uh, even in India, mm-hmm. which is why I think, you know, um, we have so many variations of the mustard curry because sometimes you do have radish mm-hmm. in season and sometimes you don't. So you just make it another way. I, I, I live in Singapore and mm-hmm. we get everything here all seasons because when because you know Australia, most of our produce comes from Malaysia, Australia. Mm-hmm. And so when the world is going through summer, Australia mm-hmm. is going through winter. Yes. And mm-hmm. when <laughs> and it's the opposite. So yeah. we get everything all year round. So I I have actually lost, I have lost track of what's seasonal and what's not to be yes. honest, which mm-hmm. is not good. Yes. Which is not mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if you have had trouble finding radish or no, I wouldn't. Available. No, I wouldn't have trouble finding them. It's just, I, I mean, I think really I'm commenting on it because it was one of those moments where you sort of acknowledge your own ignorance, right? Like I just didn't think of that as a type of food that I would find in India, you know? So I think it's just ah. like, oh, this is a good, this is a good, again, reminder to me of how diverse the climate zones and um, well, everything, like we said, every hundred kilometers, right? <laughs> so, mm, exactly. Uh, I think, I think, um, yeah, it only stood out to me because, like I said, of my ignorance. Also, sometimes there are, um, I'm trying to think of a really good example and I can't off the top of my head, but sometimes there's like, I'm saying, I'm saying a word and a guest is saying a word, but we're not actually talking about the same uh, vegetable. Like that has happened in the past, you know? Um ah. So, yeah, but it sounds like we're talking about the same thing. And I am, I have never, I don't think put radish with mustard, but we're talking about two very similar flavors in a way, something very mm. sharp. Exactly. Um, yep. Mm. You got it. Absolutely mm. right. That's okay. exactly why they go so well together. And it's amazing how radish is so sharp when you eat it raw. Mm. But once it goes into the mm. curry, it it's amazing in texture. It's mm. not very crunchy. It's mm. also not mushy, soft, but it soaks up that mustardy flavor mm. and it it's not as sharp anymore. Mm, yes. <laughs> it's so balanced. I don't know how and what kind of a chemical reaction happens in there, mm. but it's definitely uh, much easier to eat and it adds so much to that curry. Oh, mm. gosh. Yeah. Well, the sharpness probably seeps into mm-hmm. the sauce, the curry itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so. You said, yeah, yeah. You said the biggest mistake someone can make is that the mustard is not ground finely enough. Yes. It's kind yes. of cool. Um, I did an episode where um, a guest taught us how to make uh, chai masala. And so for that reason, I got a spice blender. <laughs> so are we talking more about <laughs> using a spice blender or like a... Um, a regular blender? How, what are your, what are your, I don't want to make the number one mistake. So (laughs) tell me how to avoid it. So does your spice blender allow you to do wet mixing? I can't, I, I would be uncomfortable doing that. Yeah. 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 So I, I think most, most spice blenders are not for wet mixing. Mm. So this one is definitely wet mixing. Mm -hmm. I use my regular Kenwood blender. I don't, Mm -hmm. honestly, I don't have any fancy appliances or I don't have anything special for my cooking. Mm -hmm. It takes me maybe a little bit more time, a little bit more effort, Mm -hmm. but um, I just use my regular blender. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do is not give up 
You cannot <laughs> give up. <laughs> so you have to just blend. So just pulse a little bit and then mm. blend a little bit. Just make sure that you don't add too much water or too little water. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is a problem. So just keep it like, you know how avocado, have, when you blend avocado, mm-hmm. And you look down into the blender mm-hmm. and you see the pulpy kind of, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of uh, feel. It's almost like that. Hmm. And the yellow mustard seeds, they turn white. Yeah. That is an indication that it has been done properly. If they mm-hmm. are still looking yellowish, mm-hmm. that means they can go further, just little by little and keep mixing them up. Mm-hmm. you know, taking the bottom or something mm-hmm. on the sides, just mix it up, just keep going. And it might take you a little bit more time in the regular blender, but it will happen. It'll get so, there. Okay. Yes. Look for the white color. The moment it begins to turn whitish, you know that you're, you're doing well. You're doing okay. Well. So yeah. is the resulting sauce itself actually white or is it, is it, does it turn back yellow when it cooks? It's the turmeric. So the oh, turmeric, the turmeric makes it yellow. Yeah. Yes, yes. Got it. Yes. I was mm. like, wait a second. I've seen this picture. Okay. Got <laughs> it. That, of course, of course, of course. Okay. And then when, when I'm assembling it, you know, um, well, I guess you cook it all together, but what's the, um, what's the ratio? Like, are we talking about this fish is really almost swimming in a curry or is it kind of, you, you know what I'm saying? Is there a little sauce yeah, on top? Yeah. And tell me, I, I, it's a, related question, the ideal consistency of the sauce, um, like how drippy is it, I guess, Okay. of the curry? So, I shouldn't say sauce of the curry. Mm. So it's definitely swimming in curry. Mm, mm-hmm. It's not just sauce that you put on top. So imagine that you've got all this rice and you have to mix it up with that curry. Mm. So you have to have enough of it. Mm-hmm. But the key here, again, is when you're making the curry, you're adding all that water, there is, you know, the mustard paste that has been cooking in the tomatoes and the turmeric powder. And then you put in the water. Mm-hmm. You have to allow it to boil, boil enough. And you'll you'll not you'll yourself notice the texture of the curry begins to change. It'll get thicker. Mm-hmm. And it's not like thick, thick like soup. Mm. It's actually got a very lush kind of a texture. Mm. It's not watery. It mm. is not like you can see ingredients separate. Mm-hmm. They look homogeneous. You mm-hmm. know, when you when you pick up a spoon and you pour it, it's actually got a bit of volume to it, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's not drippy or it's not thick enough to be called a sauce. Yeah. So I guess it's a balance in between. Mm-hmm. And and also I find like Indian food is a little bit forgiving that mm. way. Like if <laughs> yeah. you like it watery, just keep it like that, man. Mm. <laughs> if you like it saucy and you like it thick, then just go that route. But mm. yeah, typically if you ask, it's mm. it's between the watery and the saucy. Okay. I got it. Mm. Okay. I think you've prepared me well. I'm going to give it my best <laughs> shot. And I know, I know, like you said, the dish, and I'm sure yourself will be forgiving too, <laughs> depending oh. on my results. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to try it. So, um, well, going back to your, to your story, your life, did you, um, you remember your mom making this for you, you first eating it and this, like I, you said, dusk, I'm imagining this golden light, you know, shining through the windows. Mm-hmm. How about cooking it? Did your mom do all the cooking in your home? Um, and then did she teach you, like, were you interested in cooking when you were younger or just eating? <laughs> <laughs> I was did, definitely, oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go for it. 
I was definitely interested in eating. I remember I was a year old or two and we had uncles and aunts and every time they came home, I was eating and they had nicknamed me around food because every time they entered the house, I had food in my mouth. I was wow. always holding something. I was always eating. So I was, I, it, mm-hmm. I have this eternal connection with food for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom, actually, she, if it was not for my mom, I would have never been a food photographer. Hmm. She, she's like, obviously she was amazing, mm-hmm. not just in cooking, but she could cook different cuisines of the world. Like hmm. she, and I'm talking about the time in India where there was hardly any internet. There was no Google. We mm-hmm. knew of countries, but we didn't know of cuisines, you know. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can you could find out about a certain cuisine was through a cookbook, through a recipe wow. book. Yeah. She had a whole collection of those. And she loved cooking so much that she would wow. read. Mm-hmm. And she introduced us like as, you know, I was what not even 10 years old and we used to eat crepes for dinner and she would wow. make risotto for us and she got one party she served a baked alaska and you know wow. she like she would do all this fancy cooking and later many years later i told my husband you know mom used to make all of this and he had never even heard of them so wow. we were not the average indian family mom really really introduced us to a lot of world cuisine so she gave us a very good palate and your mom but wasn't I, just sitting i mean she didn't she was teaching all day yes 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 oh my god my mom was like super mom oh goodness she was teaching all day and she did everything around the house like she was she's a rock star i i'm wow. pretty sure everybody thinks like that about their moms and my mom was no exception she could do 10 things like at one time uh, wow. multitasking was one of her these things but she was also multi-talented mm. she was ex- she was a history teacher. So, mm. you know, sh- she was in school most of the day. Mm-hmm. She would get up at four o'clock in the morning mm. to make lunch before she left for school. And mm. I know in the US, four o'clock is not that unheard of. Uh, but in India, it most definitely is it's early for me. Let me tell you that <laughs> six o'clock is my alarm. <laughs> and I feel insulted at 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, she would just wake up at four o'clock. Mm. She would cook the entire lunch. And that was dal and rice and vegetables and you know um and dad always wanted one more thing so she mm. would have four things cooked at four o'clock in the morning and then she would leave from for school come back heat up the food everything would be ready she used to do that so obviously her love for cooking was one thing and then she was a prolific writer she used to mm. write like amazingly and then in the afternoon she would she had a scooter she would put her helmet on and ride, uh, you know, in the scorching heat, she would go and pay bills and collect deliveries and go run chores. And, you know, on the weekend, she would take a street shopping. So she was just incredible. Wow. I'm, (laughs) yeah, I'm starting to understand where your energy comes from. (laughs) (laughs) No, but she did. I think she was also a wonderful and an amazing baker. Mm. So when I was about, I think I was five years old. Okay. I'm not Mm hundred percent sure there, but Mm. maybe I was five years old and she she taught me how to bake a vanilla cake. Wow. So she, that was my first experience of really cooking or baking or just being in the kitchen mm. in that, in, in, you know, um, 
just doing everything on my own and not just sitting there and watching food and waiting, you know, and waiting for it to be done. <laughs> yeah. She taught me. Yeah. She, so she, she, she taught me how to bake. And from there on, I think no one else was actually allowed to cook in the house because dad was unanimously voted as the one person who will never be allowed to enter the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to still, my sister was a, less, a little less interested. Mm-hmm. I loved cooking and I would take all these recipes from mom. Mm-hmm. I would try to cook them up and then I would butcher them because I could not stick to a recipe. I just wanted to, maybe a little bit here, maybe a little bit oh, there. Oh, you know, I relate that. to that. Yes. Oh gosh, my mom would be so few she's like no that's not the way you do it you know since you talked about um you know mom and introduction Mm -hmm. to food you know when we lived in delhi Mm -hmm. dad was dad was very busy he he's a neurologist so Mm -hmm. at that time he was studying getting his super specialization so he Mm -hmm. was out a lot Mm -hmm. and we saw a lot more of mom Mm -hmm. and on especially on weekends, mom used to take us to street shopping and mm. you know, all the fun stuff. Mm. So one, I still remember one weekend, we were out street shopping. And then I don't know if you've heard of Connaught Place, but that no. is like a signature, uh, you know, from the old British era. It's one of mm. the older shopping areas of Delhi. It's beautiful. Mm. We were okay. shopping there and then we stopped for lunch. Okay. And mom took us to this fast food restaurant. It was called Wimpy's. <laughs> Wimpy's? Wimpy's. Okay. And it was novelty at that time in India, having a fast food restaurant. It was like the grandfather mm. of McDonald's. Mm. So it came 20 years before McDonald's in India. Okay. You know, so Wimpy's was, I don't even know whether it was an Indian <laughs> brand or not, okay. but it was very similar to McDonald's. Uh-huh. It was a burger chain, pizza chain, just fast food. Yeah. And so we went to Wimpy's. It was our first time at Wimpy's. We were so <laughs> excited. We're sitting there. Then our tray arrives and there are these little burgers on it. Uh-huh. And then there was this pile of cabbage and it, really? it looked strange. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, take a bite. Let's see how uh-huh. it is. So I take a bite and it was really nice. And I looked up and, you know, I, I looked at mom and I said, mom, what is this? Uh-huh. And, you know, in that that she had this look on her face, you know, like, uh-huh. yes, ask me, I'm the guru, you know. <laughs> so she just looked at me and she's like, that is called coleslaw. Oh. <laughs> so that was my introduction to coleslaw. I'd never eaten coleslaw in my life. So she really, and she knew she it. She really like, did know. Yeah. I don't know when she went to Wimpy's. I don't know when wow. she had coleslaw in her life, but she knew everything about international foods. That is and amazing. So, yeah. So this is the childhood like I had around food, you know, mm. all, all thanks to mom, really. Mm. <laughs> yes. And so much more. Now, did you all, you, you, you've said a couple of times when I lived in Delhi, did mm. you travel a lot as a family or, or did you move a lot as a family? Which I guess is a separate question to, did you travel a lot as a family? We did both. Mm. And that is because my dad was in the Indian army mm. and we had to actually move every three years. Mm. So we were posted in many different parts of India. We were wow. literally, we moved um, about eight cities wow. throughout yeah. And we lived in Delhi for a long time. We had two postings in Delhi. So I spent a long time 
over, you know, three years mm-hmm. in one uh, tenure and four years in another tenure. So mm-hmm. we spent a long time in Delhi. And then later, after I finished my architecture, I again went back and I was living in Delhi for a while. So okay. I guess I'm very familiar with Delhi and we spent a large chunk of time there, but we traveled a lot. Like, mm-hmm. for example, Jammu Kashmir, which is where mm-hmm. I met my husband, okay. is where I went to middle school. That's wow. where my dad was posted. Wow. So we lived there for three years and then we moved to many, many other cities. So we moved a lot and we traveled a lot both. Wow. Okay. So just thinking on how amazing your mom was, well, first of all, she probably, um, if she knew international cuisine that well, she probably knew the cuisines of India, mm, like the back of our did. hand, like she was very um, fluid, fluent, I guess. She was very fluent in the different um, regional cuisines. She was, she was, and she's the one, like, even today, if you talk to her about Indian food, she will, Mm -hmm. because she's a history teacher, right? So she Mm. will not just tell you about the food, she will tell you about the history of food. Mm -hmm. So if you eat biryani with her, which is Mm -hmm. a meat and rice dish, she will Mm -hmm. tell you exactly how the Nawabs made the biryani. So (laughs) she always has a history lesson and sometimes we like it, sometimes we don't. Oh, wow. (laughs) I I think I need to have your mom on the podcast. That would be extraordinary to learn the history of so many of these famous foods. That's amazing. So mm. I'm, I'm assuming she didn't have um, access to a lot of, like you guys never lived in a multi-generational home or with um, in-laws or anything like that. She was always really um, on her own without a lot of support doing all these things. That's right. We always, we were always um, by ourselves, like Mm -hmm. uh, we had a nuclear family and that's also because we moved a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, they were mostly in Bihar, which is where I'm from the state. Mm. So yeah, she didn't have much help. And, but what she did have is her mother (laughs) in the sense that even my mom's mom, my grandmother Mm -hmm is a fantastic cook. Like she would mm-hmm. make her own puff pastries wow. and she would do everything from scratch herself at mm-hmm. that time, you know, in the fifties. Mm-hmm. So uh, mom learned a lot from her about cooking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how she got interested, but mom just took it to another level, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Is Delhi the place that feels most at home or does this other place you just mentioned feel like, feel like home? I think now, uh, at one point, Delhi felt like home. Delhi mm-hmm. is definitely familiar territory for me. Mm-hmm. But because my dad was in the army, we never lived in our hometown. Mm-hmm. We we were always traveling, always in other parts of India. Mm-hmm. So when my dad uh, took retirement from the army and he wanted to set up his own practice, his own mm-hmm. neurology clinic, he chose to go back to our hometown so he could be close to aunts, uncles, relatives, mother, Mm -hmm. father, you know, all of that. So Mm -hmm. he just wanted to be close to the people he had missed being around. So um, they've been there 20 years now and I go back a lot more than I ever did in my life. So for Mm -hmm. the last 20 years, I've gone back to my hometown a lot. And so I would say that feels like home more than Delhi now. I see. And what, what is that? What's the name of that town? So I come from a state called oh, Bihar, Bihar and my hometown is called Patna, P-A-T-N-A. And it has such a rich history, really. Like it has, it had a huge part to play in Indian history, mm. um, you know, so it's very rich culturally. Mm. Yeah. 
do do you want to give us a a, a synopsis, a summary of that of that <laughs> critical history? <laughs> okay, I will try not to be like mom, but I will. <laughs> I will. I will. I will say as much as I know about the history. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, Patna. Um, mm-hmm. It was the. It was where one of the first empires of India was. Mm was set up and at that time it was the Mauryan empire mm. and Patliputra which is the old name for Patna Patliputra is what it was called and that was the capital of that empire and mm-hmm. that empire was set up by Chandragupta Maurya he has a lot of um, uh, mention in Indian history mm. and later on Ashoka who is one of the most famous rulers of India, mm-hmm. he went on to take over the Mauryan Empire. So it all started from Patna. Patliputra was the wow. capital. And of course, Patna is on the banks of River Ganges, which mm-hmm. has a huge religious significance in right. the Hindu culture. Uh, also, Patna was uh, one of the first cantonments where the British set up in India. Mm-hmm. And so the architecture is very influenced by that. So I love that, you know, it's like a business hub. It's a health center for the region. It's mm-hmm. also got a ton of educational, uh, ha- uh, you know, schools and colleges, some set up during the British era. So it has mm-hmm. all of that, but there are streets where you walk and you feel like you've traveled back in time and you're back ancient. into the, mm-hmm. yes, it's the British era, the Victorian style. It's just amazing. So I, I just love that contrast that I mm-hmm. get there. I always feel like I've traveled back in time. So mm-hmm. yeah. So Patna is, it's, it's rich in, in, yeah, you know, in a lot of ways. So special, so special. I'm thinking as you were telling about that, I was thinking about your mom being a history teacher and mm. here in, <laughs> here in the U S <laughs> we go back like, I mean, maybe 400 years to Jamestown, you know what I mean? But your mom, yeah, she yeah. teaches history. Wow. She's going back millennia. 300 BC or earlier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> amazing. All the more amazing. All the more amazing. So fill, fill us in a little bit. Um, I feel like you've talked a little bit about how, um, I mean, your mom made your childhood almost idyllic. I'm sure it had its own problems in many ways because everyone's does. And there were things that were difficult, but there were things that she made so beautiful about your childhood. Um, what tell us about the um university architecture meeting your husband traveling settling in singapore how what order did all of that happen in how did that how did that go and then we'll tackle switching to food photography <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's okay mm. so i mean Contrary to what you would think. So I met my husband first. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> In the sense that we met when we were nine years old. Oh, so did you? Aww. We did. That is when my dad was posted in Jammu Kashmir, which was mm. his um, state, his in his hometown there was a huge army base and my dad was posted there for three years and that's, he was my classmate. So yes, you said you went to middle school together. (laughs) Yes, we did. We met in sixth grade. So yeah, we, we met each other way before we knew where we would be in life. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, but we, we always were in separate cities. We lost contact for many, many years, got back in contact through common friends, but we were never even even once we got back in touch, which was um, after finishing my undergrad or during my undergrad days in oh, architecture, wow. mm-hmm. we uh, 
always lived in different continents. Wow. So I I did my undergrad from India mm-hmm. in architecture, and then I moved to the US to do my masters. Okay. And he was at that time he was working with a business school in Paris, and wow. so he was in France. Yeah. And then he moved to Singapore. So we were always shuttling and, you know, just shuffling between continents. Yes. We were always in a long distance. But So this uh, was always a special relationship, even from the time that you were schoolmates. That's right. It was always Aww. testing us. <laughs> and it was testing our internet connection. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what stood out to you as a nine-year-old boy? What stood out to you about your husband? Well, he was very biased towards me and I loved it. So oh. <laughs> he, no, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy and he's, mm. he's really one of, he's, he's very intelligent. So he's almost never come second in his life, kind mm. of a guy, but he's so grounded. And if you mm-hmm. meet him, he's just, he's just out there to help everybody. Mm-hmm. Like he does not need anything in return. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you are not Mahatma Gandhi, you know, <laughs> and he's just that kind of a person. And mm. we are, I think, yin and yang. Mm. So my high energy and his calmness, mm-hmm. they kind of complement each other. And mm-hmm. he was just, he, I don't know, this just, I guess, love is blind. <laughs> That's oh. what it is. <laughs> oh, well, you sounds like you're both. Yeah, it sounds like you were kind of made for each other, honestly. And it sounds like there's a lot to love about him. And obviously, all of us listening can tell there's so much to love about you. So that's a wonderful story. I absolutely, I absolutely love that. That's wonderful. Oh, hmm. Thanks, Becky. Thanks. Well, when so you I'll, go ahead. Hmm. So, I'll, so my architecture was actually quite, um, quite uh, accidental. Mm. My getting into architecture was just by chance. Mm-hmm. It was not like I was an artist. It was not like I was creative. It was mm. not like that I wanted to be an architect my whole life. I actually, you know how you're 17 and you either know exactly what you want mm, or you have or you no know, idea or, or you have no idea. So I was mm-hmm. one of those children. I had mm-hmm. no idea. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, again, it was at a time where careers were limited. There were, mm-hmm. the choices were limited. Like if somebody said that you could be an influencer, I mean, that was not <laughs> even <laughs> exist in that time. You know, it was so, so off to even think about something like that. Mm-hmm. So there were only certain options available. And do you mean in general, or do you mean for women? I would say in India oh, okay. um, mm-hmm. and not just, I mean, I can't say for other countries, mm-hmm. but I would say that in India, mm-hmm. all Indian parents look for something that's lucrative, but Mm -hmm. very stable Mm -hmm. for the children. And they have a huge role to play in Mm decision-making. You know, it's not like the child will figure it out themselves and they will make their own decisions. It was Mm -hmm. not like that. The the parents really guided us through. Mm. Um, Sometimes for good, sometimes for worse. But Mm -hmm. I mean, at 17, honestly, I feel like I was definitely not ready to take such a big decision of my life and mm. and live with it my whole life, you know, mm-hmm. without swaying anywhere. So mm-hmm. uh, at that time, I wanted to be a veterinary doctor because I loved animals, Aww. and it just it just did not fall in place. Like first mm-hmm. of all, my dad was a neurologist, and he was like, "Maybe you should be a neurologist." Right, of course, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was not for me, and engineering mm. was definitely not for me. For someone mm. who can't add two and ten together, <laughs> and engineering was not for me. And so architecture just kind of 
we had a friend who went into architecture school and it seemed like a very good balance of creativity mm-hmm. and science mm-hmm. and also because i got through the i got i got a good score in the entrance exam mm-hmm. and i made it to one of the top colleges in the country wow. so i was like oh all right fine done dean wow. you know i don't have to sit for any more i think exams. you can probably add pretty well if you got into one of the finest yeah. colleges <laughs> in the country <laughs> <laughs> Maths was not my strength, Becky. Mm. It wasn't. But I was very lucky to get into that college because mm. I'm not sure. Have you heard of French architect Le Corbusier? Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Corbusier. So, yes, yes, I have. Mm-hmm. So Corbusier designed our college and Corbusier yeah. designed our city. So I, I studied wow. in Chandigarh, which, is, uh, which was completely designed by Corbusier. So I was literally in the Mecca of architecture. Wow. And, um, I learned a lot. And from there, I think my interest in healthcare was always there. Mm-hmm. I went on to uh, one of the best schools in the US. You're, oh, I don't want people to miss that. You're saying your interest in healthcare. Healthcare that mm. came from my childhood of mm. walking hospitals with my dad. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's amazing how things shape. You know, our, our childhood experiences shape mm-hmm. who we become. And people hated healthcare architecture. No one wanted to design hospitals. Yeah. And I was like, me, 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 pick me, pick me. You know, interesting, so. <laughs> interesting. And is that because um, you? F- I'm guessing, but maybe I'm wrong. That there was like that was driven by. Um, a desire to make a hospital more functional. You felt like if you designed it well, it could be more functional or was it a creative thing? There was something about the challenge of it that drew you creatively. I think. um, Oh, I, yeah, it came. Yeah, it came. um, I think it came from my understanding of how hospitals ran and functioned, Mm -hmm. which is very difficult. It is not something everyone gets. The logistics are crazy. The the Mm -hmm. kind of planning that goes into constructing a hospital is crazy. And if you've not been there yourself, I think most people struggled with it and they found it a bit dry. But Mm -hmm. for me, it was intuitive. I could tell you exactly how an operating theater had to be done. I knew exactly where the scrubs had to be. I knew exactly how the doctor had to go. I knew all of those things because I had been in hospitals my whole life, you know, going for ICU rounds with my father when I was little Mm. or, you know, just we, at one point we even lived in one of, one of the wards when we didn't have accommodation in a city. Like Mm. I was always in a healthcare environment and it was very comfortable for me. So it was probably the most intuitive thing for me. And I realized that as an architect, I actually had the opportunity to create a healing space, a healing space, you know, incredible. And how amazing, by the way, that your dad brought you along on all of this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at that time it was like, mom was like, somebody take one child, I'll take care of the other one. So dad wow. would <laughs> pick me and take me to the hospital. But wow. yeah, it, it shaped, it shaped everything. Like my wow. entire 15 years in architecture, studying, uh, designing, it was mm-hmm. all healthcare. That was my love for it. And Incredible. I actually went to the U.S., only mm-hmm. to get a specialization in healthcare architecture. Wow. I applied to three schools, only mm-hmm. three. And I said, I will not take anything else because mm-hmm. this is what I want to do. And I will not do anything else. And wow. I got into my, you know, my, my favorite one. <laughs> Wait, what was that? 
Texas A&M. Wow. So they have a strong healthcare architecture program. They had the best healthcare program in the country. Yeah. So I did a Hmm. master's in architecture and I got an additional degree in designing healthcare space, uh, healthcare facilities. So wow. um, it was, it was amazing that that really changed everything for me. Actually, that put a seed idea in my head, you know, something that mm-hmm. I feel that I learned so much from the American culture. What's and that? I, so I was in the master's program. Mm-hmm. I was 24 years old. Mm-hmm. My classmate mm-hmm. was this guy who was, I think, 20 years old, and he used to be a history major mm-hmm. who had changed majors and suddenly he wanted to be an architect. So he was in, he was mm-hmm. doing his master's. And my other classmate was his grandmother, who wow. was 70 years old, and wow. she wanted to do a master's in architecture. And wow. I thought that I have never looked at life this way. Mm. I never knew that you could change your decision, mm. that you could do something else after doing something else. I had mm. no, I didn't think it was an option we had in life, honestly. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I was blown away. I I was like, wow, it suddenly opened. It just opened something for me. It's not like I mm. changed or I switched careers right immediately. Then. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, a little seed but, that was planted that much later. Yeah. It, it, I, I appreciated that so much, you know, about the culture. I, I, that was, uh, that, that again, impacted me in a very, very big mm. way. So mm. I guess that, I guess that showed up a few years later. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so yes. So where did healthcare design take you around the world? And then when did you switch to food photography? It is a massive switch. It is. It's crazy. Mm. So healthcare design was my life. You know Mm -hmm. how people get up in the morning and read the newspaper. Mm -hmm. I used to read the healthcare news. Uh, Yeah, I was, I was addicted. I was insane. I, were you married at the time? I was not, I was Mm. not. So at that time, my boyfriend was in Singapore while I was doing my master's Mm. in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, And while I was doing my master's, apart from the master's program, I also received a couple of fellowships. Mm. So this was all in addition to the coursework. So I actually went and I researched cancer treatments and I traveled the world. I got a grant. I traveled to Japan. I traveled to Germany to Mm. study that treatment Mm. so that I could come back and I could design the first prototype in the United States. Like that, that was my craziness (laughs) Mm. for healthcare. The first Mm. prototype to treat, to treat in in what way? So it was, uh, you know, you've heard of proton therapy, right? Mm, Yes. So this was the next level. This was carbon therapy. And there were very few countries in the world. It was a very expensive treatment. There were very few Mm. countries in the world who were uh, working actually from nuclear facilities Mm. and they were testing it out. And so I traveled and I worked with nuclear physicists to understand what's the machinery, what's the equipment, Mm. what does it Mm -hmm. take? How do we design it? What's going to go in it? Mm. So I traveled to different countries through that fellowship. Mm. um, And then I came back and I submitted a design for... I. Uh, you know, MD Anderson Cancer Center mm. in Texas. So um, they are one of the largest cancer centers in the States, I think. So wow. I did like a prototype design for them, which was part of the fellowship, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, it took me like, it took my craziness to another level. Wow. I, <laughs> I, I worked in Virginia, 
mm-hmm. um, in a healthcare architecture firm. Mm, and we were then, neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I loved it. Oh, mm, I Virginia missed is that. Beautiful. Mm. It's too beautiful. I loved mm. it. Um, and then my husband, my boyfriend and I mm. decided to get married finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I did not want an online wedding. I did mm-hmm. not want cyber children. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we, so I decided to move to Singapore. Wow. Uh, so I moved for love. <laughs> and you had, you had done this big design that was almost like you did this. It's almost like you reached the apex of your career and like a almost no time you're like oh what do I do now (laughs) no no it wasn't it wasn't a real project it was more like a prototype like a research project you could Mm, call that mm -hmm, so it mm -hmm. wasn't like that but yeah I mean I had a very I had a very good network in the United States Mm -hmm. I had my professors I had business connections I had industry connections and I was doing very very well and I decided to leave that for love and move to Singapore which was heartbreaking Mm -hmm. I still remember I sat I took my flight from New York I mm-hmm. sat in the flight and for once I used you know I, I as the flight just took off I had like tears rolling down mm. <laughs> it was a very difficult mm. decision but in hindsight I don't see how it would have worked out in any mm-hmm. other way you know you don't regret uh, the decision obviously I regretted it for a while in the sense mm-hmm. that uh, I had a I had a bit of a struggle Mm. finding my foothold in healthcare architecture in Singapore Mm -hmm. because things were done very differently here. Mm -hmm. I did, however, find some good firms to work with and I designed two very big hospitals here. But I think, I think in the end, like that was one of the reasons that made me switch. Mm. And it was just culturally, I was not aligned like when I say culturally is like mm-hmm. the professional culture mm-hmm. the professional culture I was not completely aligned and I think I was just mm-hmm. looking for something you know so I mm-hmm. I got I got a lot of joy in mm-hmm. the work that I did here and I learned a lot mm-hmm. uh, but I, I still love you know people people switch careers because they hate their jobs mm-hmm. or they hate something mm-hmm. I loved it I loved mm-hmm. it I just mm-hmm. didn't like the people I guess. Interesting. So if you had stayed in the US, first of all, you'd be a lot less lucky in love and you wouldn't have your daughter, <laughs> but you may, you may have never switched to food photography. 100%. I have no doubt about it. Yes. That's interesting. I would have never done that. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. You know, life is interesting, man. You just can't be afraid. You can't be afraid to make change. Can you? You cannot be and you and not yeah. be afraid to make changes. So then tell how did it, was it like a light bulb all at once? I'm going to be a food photographer <laughs> or was it like this slow, like you're stepping along carefully on stones across, you know, a, a creek, you know? So it's, it's so funny how it mm. happened because this like food was not even a career option. Right. Mm-hmm. And now when I look back, I feel like it was in my face the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I just refused to look at it. Mm-hmm. It was telling me, pick me, pick me. And I didn't, you know. So, um, it was patiently I, waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, whatever you do in life, mm-hmm. I feel like it's actually going to bring you to what you're actually meant to do. Mm-hmm. You just have to take that leap of faith. And I mm-hmm. guess I took it, you know. So, mm-hmm. so th- but this is not the way I describe my switch. So mm-hmm. I always say this is exactly how I describe it. So, you know, mm-hmm. I always say that, you know, the moment when you jump off a cliff mm. and you make it, but mm. then you look up, 
You're and like, then you realize what you how just did I just do did. that? Mm. Oh my God, did you survive? How mm. did you even survive it? So I mm. guess my journey, my switch was exactly that, Becky. It was mm. this huge risk and a huge leap of faith that I took. And I don't know how I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just did, you know, I was so I was so six years I was working as an architect in Singapore. And I was I was really liking the work, but I think mm-hmm. that somewhere the culture had gotten to me, mm-hmm. and I was taking a break from architecture where I just wanted to cook. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be around food. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. you turned it to it for comfort and all yeah. of that. Um, oh, absolutely difficulty. Yeah, mm. and my life as an architect was very stressful. Mm-hmm. I. I was always um, at the verge of a panic, panic mm-hmm. attack or a collapse. Like I worked 24-7, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night, I would check emails and reply to emails. So I learned a lot, but I was very stressed, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then suddenly I had this time where I was in my happy place and I was mm-hmm. cooking. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with photography. I mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm, I literally mm-hmm. just cooked and I shared photos on our WhatsApp mm-hmm. family WhatsApp group, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then my sister one day told me about Instagram and I was mm. like, oh, what is that? Because as an architect, I was not even on social mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. So I go on Instagram and I start putting out my bad photos. And then suddenly one day somebody wanted to pay me to take photos of their food. Mm. And I was like, what? Is this possible? Does this happen? Does this exist? What is this? Who pays for taking food photos? And mm. I was taking really bad food photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a customer for phone. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah, so they weren't even good photos. Mm. But again, I guess there was just this thought in my mind that is there a possibility? Like, mm. am I sitting on something? Mm. And I'm not a person who likes regrets. I actually, mm-hmm. I can't live with it. And I feel like if there's ever an opportunity, something in front of me and I don't do it, mm. I, I can't sleep at night. <laughs> mm. You know, so this this thought of being paid to take a food photo mm-hmm. was very interesting. Mm. And the thing was that I, because I came from an architecture background, things like, rhythm, harmony, mm-hmm. aesthetics, color, proportion. Mm-hmm. This was second nature to me. Yes. Uh, there was just one minor detail that I had never used a DSLR in my life. <laughs> I mean, minor detail. <laughs> it was so funny, Becky, mm-hmm. that I actually went ahead and I said, I'm going to start a food photography business. And at that time, I had no money. Mm-hmm. I had never used a DSLR and I had no idea what a photography business meant. Mm. And yet I just went all in mm-hmm. and I put myself on a timer. Mm-hmm. I I had a few job offers on the table from mm-hmm. other architecture firms. I said, wow. give me four months. I four, four months. months. I said, wow. give me four months and I will come back to you whether I can I can join you or I or not. I will let wow. you know. Yeah. In those four months, I went and I first took a two-hour workshop to understand how to even hold a yeah. camera, Yeah, you know, how to get it on manual mode. Yeah. And then when I bought a lens and mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, if I want to be a photographer, I need to shoot for restaurants. So I need to be a commercial mm-hmm. food photographer. So let me go and learn how to use artificial light. Mm-hmm. So at the end of four months, I not only knew how to use a camera on manual mode, I knew how to use artificial light as well. Yeah. Not that mm-hmm. I was great at it, but mm-hmm. I knew how to use it. Mm-hmm. And which puts At you that, above, I think, about 90 or 95% of photographers. 
Oh, wow. Well, why would he say that? Uh, being able to use artificial light. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's become more common now. It was mm. less at that time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I knew it from the beginning that if I if I have to go in, I have to go all in, you know, mm-hmm. just give it my oh, best absolutely. Shot. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I and at the at the end of that four month mark, I actually went ahead and registered the business in Singapore. Wow. So we were a legal business. We were up <laughs> and mm-hmm. running. Mm-hmm. And within a f- I, I just started working like crazy. I was practicing mm-hmm. uh photography for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And I was just working like my tail was on, was on fire. And I had my first mm-hmm. client in just a few months and they were the largest retailer in Singapore. Wow. So it was, it was through word of mouth, but it wow. gave me such a big boost. And after that, I don't think I've ever worked for a client just once. There's been no looking back since then. Amazing. It's it's just been a series of, I guess, leaps of faith Amazing. and I I don't know if I would have done this earlier but I feel like my architecture mm. had a huge role to play in my photography mm. you know so I'd like to know a little bit more about that um visually I'm sure I suspect also the lessons on business and professionalism that you learned mm. as an architecture were equally as important. Am I am I right or wrong on that? Absolutely. You're spot mm. on. Absolutely. Mm. That's exactly what I meant. You know, mm-hmm. just being able to conduct yourself in a meeting mm-hmm. and not just that, if your client has requirements, how do you conceptualize it? How do you give them sketches? How do they know mm-hmm. what you're going to give them? You know, delivering a project from yeah. A to Z mm-hmm. and just being able to understand client requirements, coming up with your own system of mm how you take them through the creative process and, you know, certain, like, how do you bring your values and mm. your professional etiquette to mm-hmm. the, to the shoot? Mm-hmm. And how do you make them want to work only with you? Mm-hmm. So I guess the way all of that put together, I guess it just came from all these years that I had been sitting and working with clients in architecture. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> it oh, was exactly. not new. I was very comfortable. Yes, yes, yes. And you took yourself seriously. I did. I took mm-hmm. myself very too mm-hmm. seriously. I think what? at some points I had to remind myself, this is why you left architecture. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Yes. Uh, hmm. And now, now you have a podcast to teach other people um, about these concepts and to try to help them better at food photography and better at food photography business. Absolutely, Becky. Mm. This podcast is like just so close to my heart. It is Mm. also one of those uh, jump off the cliff kind Mm. of decisions. You (laughs) know, it really wasn't something that was brewing and brewing Mm -hmm. and something I dreamt of, but it felt so right in Mm -hmm. my gut that I woke up one day and I declared to the world and to my husband Mm -hmm. that I'm going to start a podcast. And it took me one year to start it because my daughter was only one year old at that Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a lot of commitments with her. Mm -hmm. So I was very slow. Mm. And uh, there were many times where I felt like, is this what I really want to do? Mm -hmm. And every time I just kept coming back to it. So yeah, the podcast is, I would say my heart is really Mm. (laughs) in it, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, so Mm-hmm. It's basically a podcast for all like food content creators. So food stylists, food photographers, hobbyists, businesses, food bloggers, like just anyone who creates food related content for any kind of media. And I think because I, because I, I built a business from ground up mm-hmm. and I, I feel like I know the pain. 
And yeah. I didn't come from any business background. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I just have to be out there to make it mm-hmm. easier for everyone else because it is not that difficult, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I cover everything from photography to styling technique to, you know, business. We also mm-hmm. talk about social media, but I think I talk also a lot about positive mindset. I think mm-hmm. that's played a very big role in me being able to survive and move mm-hmm. forward in my creative journey. So the podcast, yeah, is all about all about that. Mm. People definitely need to tune in. So tell them where, tell them where to find it and where else to find you on social media. So my podcast is called My Food Lens, and that's pretty much my name everywhere. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram. If you're into food styling, food photography, and a ton of fun reels, then I'm at Dyutima underscore my food lens on Instagram. Yes. But my website, blog, podcast, Facebook, Pinterest, everything is my food lens. So it's super mm-hmm. duper easy. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. You, Tima, thank you so, so much for your time. Is there anything you wanted to say that I didn't give you a chance to say? I think, I think I'm all good. I think I spoke more than you needed me to say. No, I loved every second of it. I love to know about your story. And uh, I really do encourage people to go listen to your podcast. I think you are the person for sure to be sharing um, this information with the world. Oh, thank you, Becky. This was so wonderful. I've always talked about photography mm-hmm. and, you know, the technical stuff on other podcasts, mm-hmm. but this, I was so emotional mm-hmm. when I was actually preparing or getting oh. ready, you know, because mm-hmm. you brought, I mean, your podcast is amazing. It brought back mm-hmm. so many memories. It made mm-hmm. me think in such a different way. And mm-hmm. it actually took me back to my, my, my eternal love for food and where it came from. So thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor, such a pleasure, really. I feel exactly the same. It was an honor to have you, to hear your story, to be inspired by your parents. Just how remarkable are your parents? And look at this um, legacy that they've left through you. And I'm sure if we heard your sister's story, it would be an equal legacy. And um, I think that's inspiring to me you know, as a parent, just to remember, like, keep putting that time in because, wow, look, look how you took it and ran, you know, and then to hear your story and um, these risks you were willing to take. And some of them, I mean, I think it was good for me to hear. I, th- I think my, my biggest takeaway today with where I am in my story and what's happening in mm-hmm. my life this week is that mm-hmm. you made a decision that made you sad even though you knew it was the best and the right decision, like you knew how to prioritize. Um, It's it's such a difficult thing, I think, to say, well, I can't have it all. So I'm going to choose what's best, um, ride this wave of grief, and then make the best of what I've chosen which is really what you did because really you could have descended into bitterness and said, I knew I shouldn't have moved to Singapore. And if we could just go back to the U S but you just, you didn't look back and you made the best then of what you knew was the best decision, which is very difficult to do. I really applaud you on that. Thank you. I think, I think that was probably the hardest uh, decision um, Mm. I took. And it actually, it, it really impacted me for many, many years. I battled with it. Mm. And um, I, I think I felt 
depressed for a few years mm. um you know it would come back again and it would it would show up in different ways mm. uh, you know but yeah i guess i'm very happy now because it was mm. leading me to this <laughs> isn't that isn't you know? that good for all of us to hear Yes. I yeah. I think we just have to if if we ever feel if we ever wake up with a feeling mm. we must address it if there is a calling mm. just pay attention to it even if it is for a moment I feel like every time we get ourselves out of our comfort zone or every time we uh, listen to something that our gut is telling us mm. we we are opening an opportunity for ourselves so mm. you know that's that's what i believe so it's best mm. not to have regrets <laughs> mm. you know what's the worst that can happen right 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 i appreciate that so much yeah well you've taught me a lot about cooking a lot about india a lot about how to live life <laughs> a lot about how to make my decisions <laughs> for today so i appreciate it all so much i hope you have such a wonderful evening and i can't i just can't wait to share this with listeners So, did you enjoy that? A few laughs, some emotions, some inspiration, some nostalgia. Did that come across? Yeah, did that happen? Well, this episode is very close to my heart and that's why I wanted to start the year with it and share it with you. And our paths are just so similar. Our struggles, our journeys meet at so many points. And if you also felt that, you know, if there were parts that you related to, please let me know what resonated or perhaps, you know, a question came up about switching careers or about life or about love. anything anything that struck a chord with you on this episode i want to hear it please i request you so send me an email with your thoughts on hello at myfoodlens.com or you know where to find me on instagram <laughs> just send me a dm on instagram at dithuman_myfoodlens well thank you so much thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here for allowing me to be a part of your journey as we together we start another era of the my food lens podcast you know how i always always say that if you weren't here this podcast wouldn't be either and you know that i mean it right so thank you boss i'll see you next week with another episode bye bye